What happens is when we keep Ishmael around in order to create some sense of balance, we actually allow the leaven of legalism to come in and it does not stop in the corner you try to keep it in. It actually moves like leaven does into the every area of your thought life until it becomes the principal lens through which you see God. And we've not understood the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant or what I call inferior covenant and superior covenant. Because I don't think old and new gives enough distinction. There's an inferior covenant and there's a superior covenant. Now, when we begin to draw that line of distinction, something begins to happen in us regarding how we're governed. The Holy Spirit is to the superior covenant what the law is to the inferior covenant. Under the inferior covenant, you are to meditate on the law day and night. You are not to let the law, Joshua, depart out of your mouth. Under a superior covenant, you're to pray without ceasing, praying always in the Holy Ghost. So, watch this. The, the officiant of the inferior covenant was the law. Very clearly in the superior covenant, we're taught that the law was a taskmaster. The law was the whip that was used to help keep you in line. Now that you've come into a state of being regenerated and being new created, you should no longer need a whip in order to keep you in line. Slaves are driven, sons are led. Because we've not raised people that know how to be led, we've kept enough of the leaven of the inferior covenant around to be the whip that helps keep you in line. So, so we have, we have, here's what's interesting is evangelicalism was supposed to be a response to fundamentalism. Fundamentalism came in the West in the 20s when a group of religious leaders got together and said, we need to come up with a list of fundamental things that define what the Christian life should look like. Evangelicalism initially saw that as captivity, and they came in with what's called evangelicalism, and now all we have is evangelical fundamentalism. These two things have fallen in bed with one another, and now we've got this is what you can eat, and this is what you can't eat, and this is what you can drink, and this is what you can't drink, and this is what you can wear, and this is what you can, and this is what you can listen to, and this is what you can't. And we don't trust anybody to be led by the Spirit. We'll even tell you how to vote. And tell you you're completely wrong if you don't vote exactly like me. And we don't allow anybody to be led by the Spirit. Anybody to be trained. Now, I think if you're being led by the Spirit, you're going to vote in a particular way. But my goal is not then to become a political pundit who uses the pulpit as an opportunity to promote a political agenda. That's not what we're here for. I'm here to talk about Jesus. The answer for the culture is not the Republican Party. It's not the Democratic Party. It's not the Libertarian Party. It's Jesus who is in us as the hope of glory. Hi, Steve here. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied around 600 years before Jesus came to earth. He was called the weeping prophet, and he was one of the major prophets of the Hebrew Bible. Jewish tradition believes he authored the book of Jeremiah, the book of Kings, and the book of Lamentations with the assistance of his scribe and disciple. He was born into a priestly lineage, and he had a tumultuous over five-decade-long ministry. His life was marked by opposition, imprisonment, and personal struggles. But one of the greatest things he ever prophesied was that God would bring a new covenant to Israel and Judah. And we know that this covenant was through his son, 
Jesus Christ. Jeremiah prophesied, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Jesus said, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into heaven. You'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. The old covenant was the starting point, but it was not the ending point. In the following verses in Matthew chapter 5, we see the contrast of the old covenant and the new covenant that Jesus was teaching the people about. He was preparing them for the new covenant. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then later, right before he went to the cross to die for the covering of our sins, he told the disciples directly that he was the signature of the new covenant. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The Apostle Paul said, For although I am a free man, not bound to anyone's bidding, I have made myself a slave to all in order to win as many people as possible. That is, with the Jews, what I did was I put myself in the position of a Jew in order to win Jews. With people in subjection to a legalistic perversion of the Torah or teachings of God, I put myself in a position of someone under such legalism in order to win those under this legalism, even though I myself am not in subjection to a legalistic perversion of the Torah. With those who live outside the framework of Torah, I put myself in the position of someone outside the Torah in order to win those outside the Torah. Although I myself am not outside the framework of God's Torah, but within the framework of Scripture as upheld by the Messiah. Paul recounted what Jesus said, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul told the Corinthian believers, you show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone like the law given to Moses was, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It's not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, 
but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What is Paul saying? That there's only death and judgment in the letter of the law, but there's life in the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who put their faith in Christ. Paul explains, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, or if it could give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Paul even covers what's happening in the church today and the reason that apostasy is so prevalent in the church. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. How did the serpent deceive Eve by his cunning? He asked Eve the question, did God say that if you eat this fruit, you will die? And the serpent told Eve, you won't die. That's not true. God's just holding back from you because he knows if you eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you'll be just as smart as he is. And then what's another Jesus that Paul's talking about? It's a Jesus that people want to believe in through their own minds, who never calls them to repent of sin and desire holiness and righteousness. But it's a Jesus that is all loving. I've even heard people say, God loves you just the way you are. Not if you're not born again. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay in a lost state and in a place where if you die without faith in Christ, you'll spend eternity separated from him. And then what does Paul mean when he says a different spirit? He's talking about the spirit of Antichrist, of unbelief and faithlessness and making an image of God in your own mind and what you think God is instead of believing the word of God. And then Paul talks about a different gospel. It sounds like the gospel that many people in the world have adopted. God loves everyone, and he would never send anyone to hell because he's a God of love. Another gospel says there are many ways to heaven and many ways to God. You don't have to just go through Jesus. Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. 
Jesus is the only man to walk this earth who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Christians don't live according to the old covenant. Jesus is the new covenant, and we live through him. Think about it.